welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Is everyone happy to be here this morning? I hope so. If you're not, that's not very fun for me or anybody else, but for you especially. It's a good day. I'm thankful that the weather is not so freezing cold yet. I don't know about you guys. I'm thankful. There's people, one of my friends was snowboarding last two weekends ago in Mosse um, Sever. I was kind of jealous, struggled a bit with jealousy. Uh, I want to get on the hill, but I don't want snow. I, I would be okay with snow never touching my land. But going to a mountain and and I, I would I would love that, yeah yeah. You, are you Eve? You're a snow. You must be a snowboarder too, eh? No, you're not. You want to ride your motorcycle? Okay, well, we can put some skis on that thing. Take the wheels off. You know, people do that, right? It's called snowmobile. Yes. Wow. Uh, I I we are going to continue something that we've started last several weeks. I would encourage you, if you've not followed with us the last three weeks, to go back. I, I, it's hard. I, I get sad. I'll tell you my sadness. When there are people not in the room that I know should be in the room for certain things and that miss out on the, like the, the, the swelling of something that we're doing, it's sad to me because they just miss it. Then they're kind of like, oh, confused about where we're going. And I'd encourage you, go back the last two weeks and listen to what we've been talking about because it builds a framework and a foundation for what we're talking about today. And we're really doing part three today. So we're in part three of what wasn't a three-part series, by the way, uh, but what ended up becoming a three-part teaching. So I would really encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, uh, subscribe if you haven't already subscribed. And by the way, welcome to all those watching online. And we're so thankful that you're with us uh, this morning. Uh, As you know, we are one week behind online. What we do now, we used to do it differently, but what we do now is we post online one week, the message one week behind. And so um, that's just one way that we can do this right now. Pray for uh, a building so we can live stream. You know, we also, we often have internet issues being in other people's venues. It's not so easy. And we've done it. We did it for eight years. We actually, when we transitioned to Carleton University, we were live streaming two services every week. And uh, man, we had Wi-Fi demons like you would not believe. Anybody remember that? Where's Reinhardt? I mean, he was on production back in the day. But like, man, it was like all the time something would break down, something would happen. When you're not in your own venue, you have a lot of a lot more challenges to face. And not that we can't fix those things, but we just we just want a building. I don't know. We want a building. I had a dream two nights ago, Jean. And in the dream, I saw a piece of property that it, I f- it felt like it was for the church. I, I can't say for sure in the dream. And then I saw behind it, and I realized after the fact that behind it was a lighthouse. And we talked about this, and I, we, there was been a word about a lighthouse. And then, and then I saw a lighthouse, and I'm like, there was 9,000 square feet in the lighthouse. So we bought the lighthouse. We were buying the lighthouse. And it's interesting, you know, lighthouses, if you know, they are there to warn and guide, really at the core of what lighthouses do. They warn and they guide. And I think that's a lot of what the church's responsibility is to do. It's supposed to be a prophetic voice, right? To warn what's coming, to see, to see with God's eyes, God's perspective, but then also guide and guard and encourage and strengthen. That's part of guiding. And I just believe that we're called to be a lighthouse. Someone gave us a word actually years ago. I don't even remember that. Jean reminded me of it, about a lighthouse. And uh, so, hey, let's pray. Let's pray, continue to pray. It took Joseph over two decades to come into his thing. I am not believing that. I don't want Joseph's inheritance. I don't want Joseph's promise. I want my own. 
I want our own as a body. We're believing for a building. And, you know, I just believe that as our generosity increases in this season, we're going to be able as a house to step into uh, what God has for us in the next one in Jesus' name. Hope, you're, hope there's an amen for that. But Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. Once again, I'm going to be teaching. So it's going to be heavy, lots of information. Uh, I'm not preaching really today, so I really encourage you, take out your notes. Take out some, uh, an ability to take some, jot some things down, okay? Please, teaching for me in this environment uh, where it wasn't expected is a little bit more difficult because I know that everybody's at different spaces and different places, right, in life. So it's a little more difficult. You know, people fall asleep in this theater. It makes me sleepy watching you sleep, so please don't fall asleep. I know it's relaxing. Thank God we don't have the VIP seating, eh? You can, like, lazy boy back. But that would be depre- Sunday would be depression for me. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, context, Paul, the apostle, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, is writing to the church at Corinth, dealing with and encouraging and speaking to new believers and relatively mature believers, but mostly new believers. He's bringing order to a lot of things in First and Second Corinthians, addressing a lot of things, warning about a lot of things, confronting a lot of things. And uh, he's confronting, one of the things he's confronting is some of the false teachers that have come in to sway the new believers and create division and create confusion. And, you know, there was a bunch of leaders that came in. They called them super apostles in the, in, 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 at Corinth. These new leaders came in, and they looked really successful. They had huge Instagram followings, huge Facebook profile. And, and they looked like they had it all together. But then they were actually basically saying about Paul and his leadership that he must not be a successful leader because of how much he suffered. Interesting. So you have these guys come in called these super apostles that had the big followings. And everybody was, like, drawn to them. But then they were like, Paul, you know, you've suffered too much. God must not be with you. You've suffered too much. That's why nobody wants to follow you. They're afraid of suffering alongside with you. It's actually the complete opposite in that Paul was the most anointed, the most revelatory, the most power-packed individual that there was at this time. I mean, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Here these guys with the big followings are like, you must not be, you know, very successful in your ministry kind of a, uh, an opposite to our culture, isn't it? We look and we measure success based upon numbers and metrics, but at the end of the day, God is less interested in success, and he's actually more interested in your significance on this earth. How significant are you? How, what are you doing to leave an impact to the next generation? That's what's weighed up in heaven more than anything else, because moth will not destroy that. Rust will not destroy that. But at the end of the day, your money's all going to burn. It's going to burn. But what's not going to burn is what you did and what you sowed into eternity, into people's soul, how you left an impact on their life. That's what's remembered more than anything else. So God has always been more interested in significance than he's ever been in the way the world defines success. This is Paul This is Paul's experience here. You know, he's doing significant things, but not successful things according to the culture and the standard around him. So let's read verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view according to worldly standards and values. It's kind of just what I said. We're not going to regard you according to the way the world measures you. We're going to regard you the way that God measures you. Give me a second. got to go do this. A little tradition here. Oh, I can breathe. Okay. (laughs) Though we have known Christ from a human point of view, now we no longer know him in this way. Verse 17. Now, we've been camping here for the last weeks. We've literally camped out, set a tent from Costco. We're living in the Costco tent. We have a campfire, a picnic table. We've been camping out in this chapter and then we're, we, we've built, it's like, a, I look at it like a, this is the, the stump, and we've built branches from this stump, okay, for the last three weeks. Therefore, verse 17, say it with me, therefore. If anyone is in Christ that is grafted and joined to him in faith, or by faith in him as Savior. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creature. A new one, brand new. New, brand new, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things 
the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. This is the goal of your entire life, is to live in a place of spiritual awakening, period. To be awakened constantly and continually to the ways of God, the things of God, and the perspective of God in every facet of life. If there's one prayer you can pray, God, awaken me. Help me to see right. During a pandemic, help me to see right. During a war, help me to see right. Some of us just see CNN, see Fox News. We see the news. We see CTV. We, we, we just see what we hear. Rather than seeing what God sees from above, from his vantage point. The word repentance simply means to re, to go, rewind and go back up to the penthouse of God. That's where it comes from, the word repent. The penthouse, the high point, the high place. I want to be in God's penthouse looking down at the scenario of what I'm living in. That's what repentance does. It brings us into God's perspective. Repentance brings us into God's perspective, which then renews our thinking and renews our mind which leads to transformation. I want God's perspective. I want to be awakened. Verse 18, but all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us all these things, are, sorry, reconciled, yeah, through Christ, making us acceptable to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example we might bring others to him. Verse 19, listen to this. That is that God was in Christ. Very powerful statement. Where was God? God was in Christ. God was wrapped in physical flesh. God dressed up in a costume called Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. Not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. This is the good news of the gospel. He canceled your sin. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that is restoration to favor with God. So we are ambassadors. We represent Christ. As though God were making his appeal through Christ, we are Christ's representatives plead with you and plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now this is the key. This is the kicker. This is the most important verse. He made Christ who knew no sin. He made Christ who knew no sin, didn't do sin to be sin. Christ didn't sin. He made Christ who knew no sin, never experienced sin. He was born of a virgin. Not born, he was not born of the seed of Adam. He was born of a virgin. It was the seed of Mary. Women don't have seed, but this was the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3. And we talked about this last week. That's why I want you to go back and listen. This was the prophecy the first gospel pronunciation that was ever found in Scripture was in Genesis chapter 3 in regards to the prophecy that was given over the future Mary, the virgin birth, in talking to Adam and Eve and talking to the serpent. So Jesus, who knew no sin, became and identified himself in the likeness of sin so that we could become what? The righteousness of God. So he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on whose behalf? On our behalf, so that in him we would become, we would transition. The only time transition is good. We would transition to become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. This is the good news. This is the good news. So what exactly, and I preface this every time, what exactly did God do to be sin? He dressed up as man. That's what we call the incarnation. So we're doing part three of when God dressed up. He dressed up as man to reach man. You know that? He dressed up as humanity to reach humanity. There was a time... You know, back in the day, and many of you who, who, who know me know this, like I had long dreadlocks, you know, piercings and all kinds. Of, I looked like a, I just got out of jail, and I was a full-time minister. I used to get stopped all the time around the world, strip searched, held in captivity in like literal custody like offices at the airport. They would not let me go because of the way I looked. 
All the time it happened. All, and I even had a religious visa where I could travel to and fro freely, and I would literally get stopped all the time in Canada coming back to my own country. My laptop would be searched. I mean, it was all the time. And I would literally go into anxiety going over the border, whether driving or flying anywhere on the world. I'd go into anxiety. Oh, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was in Chicago once. I remember they took my bag, took me into a dark room. They strip searched me, took me into a dark room, took my bag. They shook my bag out. They put all of my entire belongings. I saw it happen across, like literally it was like a 20-foot diameter. They took my underwear out and they, everything. They placed it all out looking for something. And then they took my bag away. I didn't know what happened to it. They repacked it all. Then they took me to a dark room. They strip searched me, okay? Things were beeping in places that they shouldn't have been beeping. I was like, what's going on there? And, uh, and then I, I literally, this is not an exaggeration, I was escorted to the plane with 10 police officers. And I was in the center of them. I was the last person on a full flight on the way to Israel. I was kind of like a little bit embarrassed, you know. I'm like, I don't know, like it's the dreadlocks. I don't know what it is. Like I got drugs in my butt, I guess. I don't know what's going on. But, it, man, it was humiliating. But you know what? In that season of my life, there was a reach that I had that not many did. I'd go into environments and people would be like, what? You're, you're like a, you believe in Jesus? Like, because at that time, I, we, had, we did a lot of stuff on the street. And I was able to, and it wasn't intentional, I was able to reach a culture that maybe I wouldn't have been able to reach because I kind of looked like them a little bit. You're tracking with me a little bit. I remember I, when I went to Mexico, and I, I found this out recently because I was in Mexico in 2004 on this big trip, and crazy things were happening on this trip in 2004. And I, the, one of the guys, he's a pastor in, the, in, the, in British Columbia, and I know him, and he, he was one of the guys that coordinated the trip logistically and administratively. I, I, had I had saw him, I saw him just last year for the first time really in, uh, since 2004, so almost 20 years ago. I see him for the first time in like 20 years, and he looks at me, and he's like, man, you were the guy, he's like, I remember, he's like, I had to talk to all the pastors about you just to make sure that they, that they knew that he was legit, because they were all in the background, all the pastors of everything, everything we did were all wondering, is this guy even a Christian? Does this guy even believe in Jesus? Because the way I looked, he's like, I had to talk to all of them about you to, to make sure that they knew you were legit. Isn't that crazy? That's just the way it is, though. Right? Humans judge humans all the time. You will never judge, you will never not judge a human. You, you, you would have to be like God. I mean, Paul, I mean, God even rebuked Samuel the prophet and said, God doesn't judge like you do. God looks at the heart. Man looks upon the outside, the outer appearance. By the way, that's, that, that will always happen. You will never be so super spiritual that you will never not stop or slip up on judging someone's outside all the time. Someone comes in with face tattoos, you're like, they must not be a believer. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm judging the outside. You just don't know. You don't know. But Jesus came. He was incarnated. He was God in flesh. Jesus was God in flesh, came. He became or dressed up like us, dressed up like man, mankind, so we could be like him. At the very core of it all, he dressed up like us so we could become like him. The power, the beauty of the incarnation. Are you with me? And I don't, don't want to go through a whole recap here, but God dressing up as man was something that was designated and delegated from the beginning of time. John 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Who is the word that he's talking about? The word was with God, and the word was God. The word is the person of Jesus. In verse 14 of the same chapter, John chapter 1, says, so the word, capital W, became what? Human, and made his home among us. This is very clear. I mean, you know, one of the biggest arguments that the Muslim uh, Muslims have towards Christians is that, well, hey, because in the Quran, they actually, you know, Jesus was a prophet, but, and he was even born of a virgin, but we don't believe that he was God. To call any human, any physical man God is blasphemy. I mean, we can show you all throughout Scripture, but, and yet, and they even talk about, they, 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 I don't want to get into this right now, 
But the Quran actually has referenced and references twisted scripture all throughout the Quran. Storylines and storyboards all throughout the Quran. The, the Quran was written like hundreds and hundreds of years later. Totally different. But yet, anyways, we won't, we won't go there. But Jesus was in the beginning of time designing the universe, the cosmos. And in the plan of God from the beginning of time was the plan of redemption before redemption ever was even needed. That's why it's such good news. Like it's all been done. It was done before you ever even needed it to be done. Sin was dealt with before it ever even emerged onto the scene. Crazy. That's why all the born-again experience is, is you waking up to what's already been done for you. The difference between Jesus and every religion is that religion is about works. It's about what you do. Relationship with Jesus is about what he did on the cross one time, one sacrifice for all mankind. It's the finished work of the cross. Massive defining line, massive difference. I don't have to work to get in heaven. Maybe I'll have some virgins in heaven. Maybe I'll have many wives in heaven. I don't have to work, work, work. Maybe I'll get in if I do good, do good. No, Jesus did good one time on a cross for you to set you up. In fact, everybody on the planet, listen to this, everybody right now in the cosmos, everybody, say everybody, has already been reconciled to God. They just don't know it yet. Some people know it, and some people don't. The moment you wake up to the realization of what has already been done is the moment transformation begins to happen. When Jesus died, he didn't just die for some people to make a decision, Romans 10, to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead on the third day. He didn't just die so you could make a decision one day. He died to redeem you permanently. You just have to wake up to that reality. And once you do, everything changes. It's the spiritual awakening that we're after. And this is powerful stuff. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, For he chose us in him before the what? He chose you before the world even was created. You were in him. You were like a mini you in spirit, in him. And he appointed you to come in this time and this hour. You could have came in the 16th century. You could have came in the 2nd century. I mean, you could have came at any time, but you came here for such a time as this and this hour for some reason. I don't know, but hopefully you do. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to do what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, listen to this, he predestined us for what? Adoption. The only thing that you are predestined for is to be adopted as a son into the family of God. The only thing. Only thing. Now, you can reject that adoption. You can reject the adoption papers. He's put the papers down. He's paid the payment. He's gone through the adoption course. It's all done. Everything's done. Everything's ready for you. You have the choice to accept or reject. It's totally up to you. Because love would never force itself on another. Love just is simply an invitation. It's an invitation. This is powerful. Revelation chapter 13, in, 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 in John, uh, John's vision, John the Revelator's vision on the Isle of Patmos, it was spoken that the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So guess what, guess what happened? The reason why you were chose, chosen by him before the cosmos even was created is because there was already a plan of redemption in place to choose you. Jesus died, listen to this, powerful, before the cosmos was created. The plan was in place in spirit before it ever happened in the natural. There's nothing new under the sun. You are just simply living out what's already happened in the spirit. But at the same time with the free will. Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, The law of Moses was enabled to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son, what? How? In a body, in the incarnation, becoming flesh, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, in Jesus, God declared an end, listen to this, an end 
to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So why did God dress up? God dressed up like us so we could become like him. If you don't hear anything again, because I'm repeating a lot of things right now, hear that this morning. God dressed up like us so we could be like him. Now, the first week we talked about dealing with the old clothes. I just wanted to build some recap framework here. Dealing with the old clothes. Talked about, you know, the, how God's created us, this brand, new, this brand new closet, this brand new wardrobe full of clothes called righteousness, and yet we go back to our, our old clothes. You know that God has lit that thing on fire. Some of you are wearing burnt clothing right now. You're going back and you're wearing your burnt clothing. It's not, it's not even real clothing. It's clothing that you think is still alive. To think and to believe that God has not eradicated your sinful nature. And we can talk theology all day long. I don't have time to break all of it down. To still believe that you have a sinful nature, you have to throw out so much of Scripture. But that what we still sin, but we still make mistakes. That's not the point. When you sin now, it's simply a result of you forgetting what God's done. When you sin now, it's simply believing in a lie that God has not already finished it on the cross. That's why Jesus instituted the Last Supper, to do this in what? Remembrance of me. The whole core of living healthy spiritual life is centered around remembering, period. That's it. Did you hear that? The whole core about living a successful, significant spiritual life is entirely centered around remembering what Jesus did in his death and in his resurrection. And when you do, you will represent and mimic that very revelation, that very reality. So when you sin, it's simply because you forgot for a moment. You forgot that you were the righteousness of God in Christ. You forgot that you were, you were renewed, you were rejuvenated, you were restored, you were reconciled. You forgot that you were a son, that you were a daughter of the Most High God. You forgot in that moment, and so you acted like an orphan. That's all it is. When you make a mistake, you are simply acting in the wrong identity. You are acting according to a different fatherly figure versus your father in heaven who calls you son. Man, I, I don't want to go through all this, but I, I could go through all this because we need to hear it over and over again. Over and over again because we still don't get it. I still don't get it sometimes. I forget. We all forget. It's part of the, the journey that we're all on. Then the second point, we talked about how God or Jesus died in the old clothes. So he had to deal with them. He had to address them. But then he had to die in them. He died in the identity or in the likeness of the sin nature that was dominating our lives. He died in that place. He, he who made, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He wore the curse that was on our lives. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So if you feel like you are a slave to sin and yet you've let Jesus take the wheel in your life, what is the problem? The problem is that we are forgetting over and over again what he's done. Are you with me? Man. So now we ended last week in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 about the first time that the gospel was ever revealed, and it was in the prophecy of what God spoke to the serpent who deceived Eve and deceived Adam. He said, I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, your offspring, and her seed. Remember, women don't have seed. So what's he talking about here? The virgin birth. The virgin birth. He shall fatally bruise your head. Speaking of Jesus, he'll crush your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. So as he's crushing your head, you're bruising his heel. That's called the crucifixion. You'll bruise his body, but in the bruising of his body, he's destroying you. He's dismantling you. This is the first proclamation of the gospel in Scripture. 
Okay? Now, we ended there last week. Now, the third point, we're diving in here. Man, I don't even know how you do a recap on this stuff because it's like, it, I know that if I just dive in at this point, you're like, you have so many questions. But this is why I feel like teaching is more complicated in this environment. So please be with me. Are you with me? Don't fall asleep on me. Number three, write this down. He gave us a new wardrobe. He gave us a new wardrobe. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might what? Become, what is our wardrobe? The righteousness of God in him. This word to become literally means to emerge, transitioning from one point or realm of condition to another. It signifies a change of condition, state, and or place. And it's a, it's a, it's a manifestation that implies motion. There is a complete transformative metamorphosis moment that takes place in the acknowledgement and the waking up to what Jesus truly has done on the cross and in his resurrection. And in that moment, we become, everyone say become, we emerge righteous. Remember, we are all, we are not, you are not born first born in the image of God. Now, some of this is semantics. People always say we're all born in the image of God. No, you're not. You're born into the image of Adam. And inside of you is the seed of the image of God. But until that seed is woken up, you are not born into the image of God. That's why Jesus said, be born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born again. When you wake up to the God reality on the inside of you, you are now reborn into and from the image of God. You are born of heaven. So John chapter 3, verse 3 says, you are, when you were first born, you're born into the image of sin. The sin of your father, Adam. You are born into the sin of Adam. And that's why Jesus is called the second Adam. To redeem what the first Adam messed up in your life for all mankind. This is the gospel. We might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The new wardrobe is a wardrobe of right standing with God. What is righteousness? It's, it's right standing. It's judicial approval is the word. You are approved by God. To be righteous is to be approved and accepted by God, counted right, in right standing with him now. It's a little too quiet in this room. I don't know if I like it. Paul says that we are called to wear this. So how do, okay, so think about this for a second. I want to just break this down for a second because I'm a practical person. So we are the righteousness of God. How do we walk that out? Like, what does it look like? Because it looks like something, right? It looks like something. It looks like it looks, it's, it's expressed some way. If you say, I'm happy, you're like this, I'm happy. Can't you tell that I'm happy? I'm happy on the inside. No, happiness is reflective in some way. Like, you look happy, you express happiness, right? Anybody in here agree? I get there's some personalities in here. You say, oh, I don't, I'm not very emotional. No, you're just probably, you've been hurt a little bit. And you're afraid to be vulnerable because expressing emotion is vulnerability. And to express happiness actually is vulnerable. Because in your mind, you're like, what if the happiness doesn't last? I don't want to go too far in happiness because it might not last. Because I've been unhappy most of my life. I'm just saying, that's a word for somebody in the room. Any expression of emotion is vulnerable. But when you have the real emotion happening inside of you or the real revelation of that emotion happening inside of you, it will look and manifest like something. Righteousness will manifest like something. Paul says we are called to put it on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Go there with me. He says this, put on, say put on, your new nature, which means that we have to position ourselves every day. Why would he say put on your new nature if we already have the new nature? This is the dichotomy here. Because, once again, it's about remembering. We are righteous. We are the righteousness of God, yet we forget. So when we remember and renew our thinking, it's like putting on clothes. Going to the, the right wardrobe and putting on the right clothes. 
And not going to the old one that God's burnt up already, the old you, the old nature, the old version of you, going to the right, the right wardrobe and putting on the clothes that you need to wear. That's what putting it on looks like. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That word to be put on literally means to invest into or sink into a garment. It actually speaks of clothes. To sink into the garment of righteousness every day is to go to the wardrobe that God has freely given you called inheritance. You becoming the righteousness of God in Christ and putting it on every day. And you put it on by remembering. That's why we do communion. We're doing it at the end. We put it on by remembering what he's done. Guys, this is like the greatest key to spiritual life. When I miss it, when you miss it in life, it's because you forget. I'm acting like an orphan. Man, I, I, I don't know about you. Marriage is one of the most humbling things there is. Being a parent is one of the most humbling things there is. I could be super spiritual living alone by myself. It's like I am the most amazing super spiritual hero there is. But you put anybody with kids and people, and it exposes everything. All of your flaws and how not super spiritual you were. Just have a friend. Maybe you're not married. Like, be in relationship. Be in community. You know, be in a church environment. You know, be in environments where you can be offended and torn apart and still be able to build back up again. That makes you a real human. But, man, the only, I, if, I, if I, in my house, if I, going through something, something said that triggers me, I could easily just forget my new nature and be like, ah, well, Right? How many do that? Some of you did that on the way to church. You like fought with your spouse on the way here. Just punch your neighbor. Yell on the phone. And you come to church, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Well, we love Jesus. He's amazing. I hate this person here, but I love Jesus. Said no one ever in this room. We put on our new nature every day. And the way that we learn to become like him is by putting it on every day and remembering why. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says, For you died to this world, and your new real life is hidden with Christ and God. The real version of you. I'm asking God and myself every day with the real version of me, please stand up. Please stand up every day. I need a real version of me to please stand up. And the only way I find that version of me is in Christ. It's hidden in Christ. Why? Because Jesus, like, the whole spiritual life is about pursuit. It's about pursuit, about honor, about, about focusing on him, making sure he's number one in our lives. And so everything that you need is hidden in him on purpose. So it keeps you on your knees. You want the real version of you? Find him. You find you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, listen to this, clothe yourselves with compassion. What does he say? Clothe yourselves. This is what it looks like. This is what righteousness looks like put on every day. He uses the word clothes. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a heavy one, right? Well, I'm not forgiving him until he forgives me. I'm not forgiving her until she forgives me. Your only responsibility is to do what you need to do because Christ did it for you. Don't worry about the other person. Don't stop your breakthrough and healing on the altar of someone else's disobedience. We do that all the time. We sacrifice our healing and breakthrough on the altar of someone else's disobedience. Well, they're not saying, I, I'm sorry. Well, they're not acknowledging their sin. They're not acknowledging their thing. They're not acknowledging where they wronged me. No, just acknowledge you. You just do you. God will take care. He's a good judge. He's a righteous judge. He's a just God. He'll take care of everything else. But you do with you. You deal with you. It says in verse 14, and, all over, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love makes all of this make a lot of sense. It's basically what he's saying. It makes, everything makes sense when love's at the core of all of this. And love is at the core of the gospel. And because of the gospel, we are able to live in this space with him, united with him. 
And this is, this is good. Ephesians chapter 6. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture here, but I hope that's okay. Because if we, you know, you, you, some of you don't read the word all week. <laughs> so this is like, this is like a, I'm stuffing food down your throat. You know, you, you have to eat during the week, by the way. You got to eat during the week. You got you to study. You got to eat. Listen, I am not a Catholic priest that will ever tell you to not read your own Bible. Now, I'm not saying all Catholic priests do that, but typically in the origin of Catholicism, there was this idea that the people that would come, the parishioners that would come, did not have suitable or were not able to study the word for themselves. So take everything I say at face value and just believe it. That's very, very, very dangerous. You need to eat during the week. Get into this during the week. Because if you don't, and this is the reason why I think the body is so weak. And I speak generally speaking. It's not weak everywhere. But generally speaking, there's a weakness in the body because the body is not taking care of their own body parts. You ever seen like a bodybuilder with like no legs? Like upper body is like super ripped and no legs? Like it looks odd, right? Or the opposite, like really, really thick trunks, thick legs, thin quads, but like no upper body. You ever seen that? Or guys with like massive traps but nothing else, you know? Like it, it looks strange. But that's kind of how the body looks sometimes, the body of Christ. It's like we come to church, we don't eat during the week. It's like church is the only time we're spiritual. You guys, like Jesus is an on-tap 24-7 God. His bar is always open. Don't just come to the bar on Sunday to get the godka. Drink it throughout the week. Every day. Drink what he's given, what he's serving out. And I, all these drug references came to my mind, and I'm like stopping myself here. I was going to say take a sniff of the lines of the word, but I didn't want to say that. And then you know, puff the Jehovah Wana, but I didn't want to say that either. It's a good thing I didn't say it, I know. Like I, I didn't say it by saying it. That's really, really mature of me. The new nature is like an armor. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 for a second. The new nature is like an armor that we put on. This is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. A final word, be strong in the Lord and mighty in his power. How do we be strong in the Lord and mighty in his power? Listen to what he says here. Put on all of, not some, all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against who? The fight is never about here. I'm not fighting you. I'm fighting what's haunting you. I'm fighting what's keeping you hostage. I'm fighting the spiritual influences over your life. That's what I'm fighting. And if you had a perspective of that, you would war and fight differently in, in life. We get into so many arguments and so many fights here and fail to realize that, man, there is a spiritual battle going on up here. I mean, you're a spiritual people. You are not a human first. You are a spirit being living in a human earth suit. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. You are not a human experience having a spiritual one. Why? Because you were in God before the foundation of the world began. You were chosen in spirit before the foundation of the world even began. Put on all of God's armor. For we're not wrestling against flesh and blood enemies, but evil rulers and authorities of un the unseen world ex against mighty powers in the dark, this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen to, that, listen to this, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to do what? Resist the enemy. Resist the enemy because the enemy is after you in a time of evil. Then after the battle, you will stand, be standing firm. Listen to this, verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Don't be afraid of truth. There is truth. Truth is real. His name is Jesus. He came as the incarnated God. 
the belt of truth, and the body armor of God's righteousness. Remind yourself of who you are when you remind, because he's not saying get up and like, like, like put on, like pretend you're putting on this like unseen armor on you. No, this is all about your mindset. Putting on your new nature is putting on a mindset that you have been redeemed. Putting on a mindset that you have been reconciled. Putting on a mindset, remembering that Jesus died a sinless death to destroy the power of sin in your life and then resurrect so you can be raised to new life. Putting on every day. For the shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. In other words, like, you know, prepare that day to go out and actually share your faith. Don't be a pansy. Seriously, don't be a spiritual pansy where you're afraid to even talk about God in your workplace. What is the point of your Christianity if you never share it to anybody? What is the point about your faith if you don't talk about your faith? Your faith was never just about you, but everyone around you. That's what the shoes are for. You don't need shoes if you ain't going anywhere, right? You don't need shoes of peace if you ain't going anywhere. If you're not showing the love of God anywhere, stay at home, don't put shoes on. That's what he's saying. But if you want to resist the enemy, one of the ways you resist the enemy is put shoes on and share your faith. Isn't that powerful? When you share your faith, you know what you do? You build your body up. You build your spiritual kahunas. That's right. I don't know how else to say it. You, 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 you get some spiritual strength inside of you when you share your faith. Why? Because you're going to get rejected. You're going to get laughed at, maybe a little bit mocked, but who cares? You have one life to live, and the only person you're going to answer for isn't the person who's going to mock you or reject you. It's God who has set you free and saved you. Only one thing matters. What did you do with what I gave you, bro? What did, I, what did you do with what I gave you on the earth to do? Did you walk around as a spiritual pansy, went to church, did the church thing? You looked spiritual, but you never lived it out in your life. I don't know about you, but I would never want him to say, I never knew you. I never knew you because you didn't know me. You did the thing. You looked good on the outside, but you didn't know me. This was, this was the confrontation that Jesus had with the religious people of his day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You, you look the part, but you don't do kingdom. You look the part, but you don't live the part. Very, very different things. So put those shoes on, he says. Put shoes, uh, put, for shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Verse 16, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of what? Because your faith in God in seasons of hardship is going to protect you. Your faith and trust, it's going to renew your thinking and remind you that because he was victorious, you are also victorious. That shield is like a, protect, a protective shield a faith in Jesus, hope in Jesus that I'm going to make it through, that I'm going to be able to stand here, my God, when all these arrows are coming at me, man, I'm, I'm, I'm protected, I'm strong. You put that shield down, game over. Game over. Hold that, hold that shield up of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Think right. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is your weapon. The only weapon in this entire list is this book. The only weapon is his word in your mouth. The only weapon is understanding the power and the life-giving power of this book. It's your weapon. Man, like, I, 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 I can sit sometimes for hours and just meditate on one verse. And I could, I could literally spiritually and physically feel like God forging something in me when that happens. There's moments in my life when I've gone through something and I spent four to five hours just meditating on one phrase. One phrase. It could be, the Lord is good. You know how deep that phrase is? When everything feels bad? I don't need to read the whole gospel of John in that moment. What I need to get is a revelation of God's goodness when life is bad. I can meditate for four hours on the goodness of God, just the goodness of God, the goodness of God, in this moment, and I could feel like my sword sharpening. 
I can feel my armor rising. I can feel my shield going up. I can feel all these things happening because my focus is not on what's not happening. It's on who is in charge. And he's still in charge. And he always will be in charge. You're still with me, right? Man, I, I, sometimes we just, like, write this down. Write, write, write this down. This is a powerful, powerful statement from my friend. He says this, when you sin as a Christian, you are acting like Christ never died to begin with. When you sin as a Christian, you are acting like Christ never died to begin with. Because here's the thing, you're going to make a mistake. You're all going to mess up. You're going to do stuff. By the way, struggling with sin is very different than living in sin. Living in sin, hardening your heart, having a seared conscience is very different than struggling with sin. You might struggle with sin. You might struggle with temptation at times. It doesn't mean you have to give in to it. But when you do give in to it, you are simply just forgetting who you are and whose you are and acting like Christ never died. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. That's why you should be doing communion in your house with your families. Because it reminds you and it brings the remembrance of who he is and what he is. Don't wait for a Sunday to do communion. Do it at home with your kids. Teach your kids about that amazing spiritual experience called communion. But man, when we forget, we begin to believe a lie. We believe a lie, there's a transformation that happens, and it's not a good one. It's the power. We need to, the power of communion is to keep us in line, to keep us in a place of health. If I make a mistake, look at it this way. I'm just having a momentary identity crisis. You know how many people are having identity crises right now around the world? Waking up confused, like I'm just... When you forget what Jesus did on the cross in his death and resurrection, you have a moment, a momentary identity crisis. The only thing that fixes that is him and continuing to be renewed. I want to close with this, then we're going to do communion. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I think next week we're going to dive into what it actually means to be born again. We're going to dive into this. Theologically, we're going to dive into it, I think. So I want to encourage you to come out because it's, we're continuing on this theme here. And hopefully this is illuminating you a little bit. Hopefully you're getting something from this that maybe you've never got before. Hopefully you're hearing the gospel shared in a way you've never heard before. Once again, go back to the last three weeks track with what we've been building towards because some of you will have lots of questions. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 25, this is Paul recounting the story. And I'm just going to encourage the team to begin to pass out the elements, begin to pass out. Don't take it yet. You're more than welcome. You don't have to be a, like a member here. We don't even have membership here, by the way. A member here or a, on the team or whatever to take communion. The only prerequisite is that you have a uh, an understanding of who Jesus is. Otherwise, this won't have any value for your life. This is not a symbolic act. This is an experience. This is a way of connection. This is a way of remembering what Jesus did on the cross in his, in his, in his death and in his resurrection. You don't have to be a member here. Everyone has access. In fact, Paul even says that because we don't understand the value of discerning the Lord's body in the act of communion, there are many people that are sick and dying among you. Because of a lack of understanding of what this is, we actually miss out on healing. We miss out on health. We miss out on life. This is more than a ritual. This is an experience. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, which is where we get the word Eucharist from. He gave thanks. The word thanks is the word Eucharistia in the Greek, and it simply means to acknowledge the good and well-meaning favor of God. When you give thanks, you're acknowledging the favor of God in your life. 
He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body. This is my body. And it was given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. What was his body for? His body was broken. So your body that is also broken could be healed. Jesus' body was broken on the cross. His insides were exposed. He did all of that willingly so your body could be healed. So your body could be made whole. Then he goes on to say, continuing on in verse 25, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, because there was an old covenant, an old covenant of the law that brought sin and death. Now there's a new covenant, a new covenant of grace, of life between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. The blood represents the forgiveness of sin for all mankind. When you take the blood, when you drink the wine, you are simply aligning yourself with the forgiveness that Jesus has already paid for, past, present, and future. Remember this. You do not confess your sin to God to be forgiven. You confess your sin to God because you already are forgiven. It happened before you ever even sinned over 2,000 years ago and in the spirit in the beginning of time. It already took place. He's already reconciled you. So when you confess your God, sin to God, you're simply aligning with his forgiveness for you now. You're not getting God to forgive you. You don't even need to say, God, forgive me. You say you confess your sin because you know he already has forgiven you. It's scandalous and it's too good to be true. Wait a minute, I don't have to confess to be forgiven. I confess because I already am forgiven. That sounds too good to be true. That's why it's called the good news of the gospel. That's why it's scandalous. It's a complete scandal. Paul calls it the scandalous gospel. It's too good to be true. So when you drink the, the, the wine, it's simply you are aligning yourself with God's forgiveness in your life. You're saying, thank you that I am forgiven, that you forgave me over 2,000 years ago on a cross, that in your body when it was broken, your body was broken so I could have a healed body, a whole body. Before we take it, what I want to do is we're going to bless it and then we're going to pray for healing. I want you to stand up. As soon as you take it in a few moments, I want you to stand up. We're going to pray en masse for healing. We're going to pray for uh, some deliverance for you. We're going to pray for restoration. We're going to pray for some amazing things that I believe that you need in your life in this season of your life. And so we thank you, God, for this body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that in this there's power. God, we just acknowledge, we say Eucharistia. We thank you that there's power in this act. It's not a symbol. It's an experience. There's power in your blood, power in your forgiveness, and power in your broken body to heal our bodies. So in Jesus' name, we thank you for what you're about to do through this moment. Amen. As soon as you take it, stand, I want you to stand up. And we're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to pray. If you have any condition in your body right now, I want you to put your hand on that condition. Put your hand on that place. You have a condition in your body. It could be chest, could be organs, could be ligaments, bones. If you have an issue in your physical body, put your hand on that location right now. Maybe you need some deliverance in your life. Maybe you need some change in your life. You need some healing in your life. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a new job. I don't know what it is for you. I want you to hold that up in faith too as well in this moment as we pray. And I'd like for some of you in this room that maybe they don't have any of those needs that would just pray with us, agree with us for those that are needing this moment right now. In Jesus' name, come on, I want to I pray with faith in this moment right now. God, I thank you that you died and you rose again to break us through. In Jesus' name. God, we pray for every sickness and every disease in this room present in the body. God, your death broke the power of sickness and disease. And so, God, in Jesus' name, right now, and right now, right now, right now, that your power come over their body, healing their body right now in Jesus' name. God, we pray for an overwhelming sense of your healing power to go through bodies right now, restoring organs rejuvenating organs, liver failure, liver conditions, restoring liver conditions in Jesus' name. God, chemical imbalances in the brain, 
God, I pray right now that you would release healing over eyes, over ears. God, over ligaments, over joints right now, over bones right now, release healing power over those areas in Jesus' name. God, I pray for even the mouth, the mouth. Something with the mouth. There's somebody in here that has a condition in their mouth. I don't know if it's some sort of infection, some sort of chronic thing that happens within your mouth. I don't know what it is. God wants to touch your mouth this morning. In Jesus' name, God, we pray for healing in the mouth. Healing in the mouth right now. Even healing in the teeth right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, you are, you are a creator. You are a miracle worker. You are a creator and a miracle worker. God, I pray for growths to dissolve out of people's bodies. In Jesus' name, God, I pray for growths to dissolve out of people's bodies. I pray that you would unplug things that are plugged up in the body in Jesus' name. God, chronic infections in the chest. God, we pray that you would release, release people from chronic infections right now in Jesus' name. Respiratory issues. God, we pray for healing in respiratory, the respiratory area in Jesus' name. Right now. Right now. And God, we just pray for that new job, that new job. We pray for that change. We pray for whatever that is that we're praying for to be answered in this season. That, God, you would break us through and advance us. Advance us, advance us, advance us. Advance us in this season.